what it means to be Canadian will vary, depending on who you ask. In this episode, Shakir Rimsey speaks to racialized public servants about fitting into Canadian culture and being a part of the system. This is Same Difference. For some of us, Canada isn't our native land, not by having long lineages or ancestors who once called this land home, but by a generation that's often still around us who chose to abandon everything they knew from countries far and wide across the world to give their children a chance to find the meaning of what true patriot love is. While we change the national anthem, it's an all of us command now. We get to steer what the true North, strong and free, means to Canadians from all backgrounds. We have a government that's acknowledged systemic racism in this country. And while words from the throne may placate some, to others we're still a long ways away from true equality in this country. Canada in 2020 remains a nation in waiting, waiting for a vaccine and a return to normalcy, but waiting to return to a Canada that's better than the one we left. Please give a warm Canadian welcome to our guest today. I'm Shakir Rimsey, and you're listening to We Stand On Guard For Thee. My name is Susan, last name's Thaler. I currently work for the Canadian Armed Forces in the Royal Canadian Navy. My trade is logistics officer. I've been in the Navy for approximately three years now. I was posted in Quebec last year. This year I'm working as a software developer in Ottawa. My job basically entails creating new applications in order to automate certain applications for the military so that it's easier to use and it's faster to use. So my name is Angus Ho. Uh, I work as a constituent, or sorry, administrative assistant now uh, for Councillor Paul Ainsley in Ward 24 Scarborough Guildwood, uh, City of Toronto. Uh, uh, working at the Councillor's office, I am in charge of the transportation and parks portfolio. So anything to do with major infrastructure, uh, setting, you know, setting up a traffic control signal, a pedestrian crosswalk, road resurfacing projects, and pretty much anything that would affect the daily commute of the residents in my ward. Um, so the installation of a new playground, if a, a community member tells me that they want new swings in their area, then you know that they would be contacting our office. I would bring it up with the appropriate park staff and get the ball rolling. So is being a minority in public service something that you've always been comfortable being? Does the fact that you're in the system have any place in your head? I always knew that I wanted to do something in public service. I just didn't quite know in what capacity. So um, it, there was there was never really this big, oh, I'm, I'm now a part of the system. Uh, because I really, I always figured I would be at some point. <laughs> yes and no. 
So yes, I was comfortable because I grew up in an environment where I was like my mentality, my behavior was really Canadianized. Like there was no hint of Indian to the point that people actually, they were very cautious about when they asked about my background. So they're, they tread very lightly that there are few who are curious, curious enough to ask those dangerous questions. Um, whereas some just make an assumption, they don't even care. So is a question about race considered dangerous? I'm not too big on labels and whatnot. And uh, frankly, that's not, uh, it's never been something that's affected me too much, to be honest with you. The reason why I think they're dangerous, the, the way they ask questions is, I'm sorry, I have to ask, but where's your background from? I'm so sorry that I have to ask, but are you Indian? I'm so sorry that I have to ask, but when did you immigrate? You know, it's like, it's sort of like an apology. It's like, these are questions that they have to apologize for when, you know, they can just be open about them. And so I don't think I've ever had anyone who openly just asked me, you know, hey, where are you from? Your skin color doesn't dictate that you're from Canada, but were you born here? You know, nothing like that. No, no, it's, I'm so sorry. So yeah, they're, they're very careful about the way they ask certain things and they have to apologize because they're curious. Isn't that just a typical Canadian stereotype of uh, apologizing for no reason? Yes. And it's just, but like of all the things to apologize for, why do you have to apologize for asking a question? Yeah, they, they, they tread too lightly. Okay, so let's not tread lightly here. Angus, be blunt. Where are you born? Where's your family from? Uh, so actually, I was born and raised in British Columbia, uh, Vancouver, or Richmond, right outside of Vancouver. I moved to Ontario when I was 10. And I lived in Markham with my aunt and uncle for a little bit. Then in, when I was 13, I moved to Scarborough and I've been there since. My, my family identifies as Chinese, specifically from Hong Kong. My grandparents are also from different areas of China. I believe my grandmother is from Shanghai and my grandfather is from Guangdong. Okay, Susan, you said you were Indian, but were you born there? Yeah. So... I was born in 1992, and I was born in India in a city called Belgium. From there, I moved to Malaysia. I believe I was in India for about a year, uh, and then moved to in Malaysia for about two years, and then moved back to India. So I spent my kindergarten in Malaysia, and I spent my grade one in India, and a little bit of grade two, and then moved to Canada in 2001 where I started grade three. And from there on, I've just been in Canadian schools and I probably moved to like seven to 15 different schools. So how exactly was your school experience? Were you guys in a diverse environment or did you find yourself surrounded by a lot of people that look like you? I, I would say I was really lucky because in my high school friend group, I had, you know, somebody from every, every different, every different race. Uh, you know, we were all from a very diverse group of ethnic backgrounds. Um, I never, I never really felt like the odd man out because everyone was different in some way. So, uh, that was one of the uh, advantages of living in one of the most diverse wards in the city. Oh, that was interesting. Yes. So in school, <laughs> so growing up grade three, grade four, I, 
didn't realize I was any different than other kids. I just sort of blended in quite well. I think up until grade eight, uh, people noticed that I had like this British accent. And so I was often asked where my background was and they automatically assumed I was from England and I'm not sure why. So I had this weird confusion about where I really was from for the longest time. So they ask questions and I, I'm like, I don't know, let me go ask my parents. And so that's when my parents started telling me, you know, this is who you are. Was that a similar kind of uh, home environment for you, Angus? Were you really educated on uh, aspects of your culture? Uh, my family is very traditional. Um, so we'll, ce- we'll celebrate the Lunar New Year's, uh, China, you know, Chinese New Year's, all, all the big hubbub with the entire family. We would, you know, go out and grab dumplings for that. We would make the traditional foods. Um, all in all, I, I was very connected to my, uh, to my heritage when I was younger. Um, you know, my parents always encouraged me to read Chinese history and study all the 5,000 years of Chinese civilization as often as I could. I mean, since both of you were brought up with another culture in the house, I'm just wondering, when did you really make that distinction between if you were Canadian or Indian or Chinese? So in the culture that I brought up in, what your parents say normally goes. So if your parents said, this is where, this is your new life now, you just accept it. There was no like, you didn't have that option to think twice or, but I know that the transition was really fast. We sort of accepted the life that we were put into and we just sort of, you know, took it one day at a time. Coming from a more traditional and conservative Chinese household, uh, there's, a, there's a moment when you're like, okay, you know, some of the things that they're teaching me aren't the right things and definitely shouldn't be reflected or and is definitely not in line with our more Canadian values. Um, so the more I realized that I was less in tune with what my parents thought, um, the more I, I stopped identifying with Chinese Canadian and more, no, I'd rather just be Canadian. So does that cause any friction between you and your family? Uh, sometimes, uh, you know, my parents aren't quite, or my family in general is not quite uh, progressive. So I guess for the most part, I don't really share some opinions with my parents and you know, family in general because it's well annoying to listen to them complain about it or you know, just spew out whatever old school nonsense that they, that they used to, that they, that they were taught. So Susan, were your parents supportive or a hindrance to you joining the military? It was funny because my dad was the one who was encouraging us to do this. And it's really interesting because it was both. So my dad was really excited and he likes to brag and he brags to everyone that both the kids are, both his kids are in the military. My mom has always been apprehensive. She's always like, oh no, what if, you know, what if there's actually a war that breaks out? What do you have to do? And she comes up with all these scenarios and, and I have to explain to her about no, mom, you can't do it that way. Yes, mom, this might happen. No, mom, don't worry, that's never going to happen. And so it's, yeah, even now she's a little hesitant. She's like, I don't understand why you're in the military. <laughs> but she's, she's accepting now, now that she knows that my job isn't um, being on the front lines at the moment. Uh, and she knows that it's not going to happen right away. She's, she's okay. But once I do have to be in the front lines, she's going to start panicking again. Mothers will always be mothers. Mothers don't change.
So I know both of you have worked in Quebec, and it's really interesting to look at Quebec through the lens of race and culture. And I want to ask you guys, how much does the element of the French language just change your own perceptions of being in Canada? So the environment in Quebec was different for a couple reasons. One, because English is not their first language, they don't have the ability to beat around the bush or use politically correct terminology. So when they speak to me in English, because they know I can't speak French to save my life, they will, you know, be just blunt. There is, there's nothing they can, like, they don't know the words that they could describe. There's no, like, like I said, beating around the bush. It's just, hey, you're different. Why is that? You know, they're, they don't even apologize for it. In fact, when I was learning the language, I learned that rarely do they apologize. They say, pardon me or excuse me, but they never say sorry, which is interesting. I mean, we all live based on judging certain stereotypes, right? But, but we have some sort of reference. Whereas when I worked in Quebec, they had no reference. They had no idea like how to treat this new girl who was of color. Like, how do you, like, how would I, we're really curious. So we're just gonna go and ask her straight out. But if they approach you, they're confident, they're fine. They can ask you all the questions, but to approach you, that's the tricky part. That's a battle that they fight. They're like, okay, is she approachable? Can we go talk to her? But once they talk to me, you know, they, they realize, you know, I'm no different. Do you take a certain satisfaction about breaking stereotypes? Sometimes I, yeah, I'll admit, I'll admit I totally do. Uh, it's always fun to surprise people. Biggest surprise, I guess, is when, when, uh, when French speaking members from Quebec are surprised when I start speaking French to them, they're like, oh my God, this Asian kid knows how to speak French. Like, it's all, it's always funny to, to see them completely shocked. They're like, wait a minute, this guy speaks French really of all this, like of all the people around here. <laughs> so that, that can be fun to watch every so often. Um, it's not, it's not out. Of, I know they don't do it out of malice. They're just, you know, surprised at all. Like we're used to seeing color everywhere. Quebec, not so much. I've talked to, uh, well, I've spoken to a couple of my colleagues who are also of, of color and they have gotten job offers in Quebec. And the reason why they reject it is because of the language. They fear that they're not able to speak the language. So they, they just, they don't go, which is why there's not a lot of color in Quebec. People are not used to seeing someone like me, and so I get extra attention. Extra attention, how? When I don that uniform, I don't even have to make that effort. People actually come to me and they say hi. Whereas if I was in a civilian world, I have to make that effort to close that gap between the other person and I. If I have the uniform, it's because I'm part of an organization. They don't see color, they see organization. But then the next step is the color. But even then, every time, like every single time I'm out in the civilian world and I have my uniform on, I have not had a day where no one's approached me or asked me questions or, you know, asked me about my background or asked me how I got into the forces. Because I think. Canadians take pride in the fact that, you know, someone of color has joined an organization 
that is Canadian. And so they like to, they want to know more, like how did that happen? And so they always ask me my story. And this has happened every time I have my uniform out in the civilian world. Whereas without the uniform, nothing. They don't even acknowledge you. <laughs> it's blending with the crowd, huh? Yeah, exactly. I'm nothing special anymore. <laughs> so I want to ask, has race ever manifested itself in a positive way? Are there certain things that, uh, because of your cultural background, that you've learned and that you've incorporated into yourself? Well, I knew there was a higher probability hmm. of me getting hired uh, because of my color, because they were looking for someone who had color. And on top of that, me being female, top of being colored and my age also and the job that I was applying to so all these factors I knew right away that I was going to get in just because that's who they were looking for you know with with a lot of more Asian uh, conservative ideals you know what what do we value we value discipline and self-restraint right and that and that's something that a a employer would definitely value out in uh in, in the work in the workplace, right? You know, they you want an employee who's disciplined, who, who follow instructions and and whatnot. But at the same time, uh, in Western society, we encourage more free thinking and you know uh, ad adaptability and whatnot. And that's something I had to l learn a little bit more from. Uh, How important is that versatility of being able to blend the best of both worlds? Absolutely, one of the most important things, right? Like. If you don't learn to see things from different angles and you only see the way like, oh, your, your parents taught you this, then you should always do it this way. You're, there's very little room to grow unless you broaden your horizon, right? So I'm lucky that I've met a bunch of people who are from different backgrounds, who have different ideas and different philosophies on life um, and have, have helped me impart that so that you know, I, I can I can think flexibly and I can and I realize like, you know, there's more ways than one to get things done. So like I, I brought up the, the battle between whether we should talk to her or not. Mm -hmm. I never let people make that decision. If I see someone looking at me, I will go and I'll introduce myself. And that is one way that, that will stop them from making assumptions about me or uh, one way that'll stop them from making that battle is like, is she, is she friendly? Is she good? And it'll also stop rumors behind my back. So to see someone smile and go say hi. Uh, one question for you now, actually. Do you believe that the Canadian model of multiculturalism is the mosaic model or is it one of the other ones like the, uh, the, the tree? You know, it's, it's a question that I've asked myself a lot because I think it really depends on what kind of generation you're from. To my parents, it's more of a mosaic because they're a bit more separated to the general Canadian ecosystem than myself. To them, they fit like a puzzle piece into, you know, this janky mosaic. But I was sort of, I'm forged within like the school system here. I'm forged within the culture system here. I grew up here. So, to me, I am, it's more of a tree. I, I have more roots here than my parents. Mm -hmm. they, they were planted in here, but I really had a lot of my, my nurturing phase of my life happen here. Like, it's not to say that racism doesn't exist. It clearly does. And, you know, it, it does affect everybody differently. And, you know, different races are marginalized differently. 
Even asking questions about identity can be difficult for some, especially when you include discrimination or marginalization to that equation. It's definitely it's a question that keeps needing to be answered by different people. But do you have a suggestion on what people can do just to stem the tide of intolerance? They don't need to worry about offending someone just because of the questions they ask. I know they're extremely careful about certain words that they choose when they're around me. And I don't think they need to do that. It makes the workplace a little bit more, yeah, it's professional. However, it makes it, it feels like you're stepping on landmines, you know, or, or like eggshells. If they're careful in return, you also want to be careful about the questions you ask, you know, if they're being cautious about uh, certain things that they do, you in turn sort of feel, oh, maybe they don't like it when I do it this way. So maybe I will follow what they do. And with this topic, we can talk for hours and still come up with some fresh discoveries and nuances. But it's been a blast, guys. Thank you so much for being with me today. And thanks for helping me answer a question that I think you guys really know how to answer best. Well, and thank you for doing this. Thanks. And thank you for listening to We Stand on Guard for Thee. Canadian, eh? It really isn't just beavers and maple syrup, is it? Shakir Rimsey offering some informed perspective on Canadian culture. And thanks to our executive producer, Emily Morantz, associate producer, Manuela Vega, Artwork by Ben Shelley, theme music composed by John Powers. I've been your host, Gracie Bryson, and shout out to Amanda Capito, a bottle of maple syrup. And remember, of course, fitting in is overrated. Overrated.